I invite you to bow with me and let's unite our voices together in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to our scripture reading for today, taken from Luke chapter 7. And there I'll be reading from verses 11 to 17. Luke 7, beginning in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. So far the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible word we have just read that bears testimony, Lord Jesus, to your miracle-working power that at your voice even the dead must listen, even the dead must rise. And Father, we thank you as well that the context of this story is one that we can all understand, a mother and her son. And Lord, it speaks to our situations today. And so Father, I pray that through this word, through me, your servant, you would bless our hearts, bring encouragement, bring hope, and bring life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I once read uh, a piece of advice in a Reader's Digest article, and this advice was specifically for stressed mothers. And it said this, If you're a mother with a lot of stress and a lot of tension and you've got a headache, do what it says on the bottle of Tylenol. Take one or two as needed and... Keep away from children. Now, as Leanne will attest, that keeping away from children, especially these days, especially uh, with uh, lockdowns and extra home time and activities being, ca- being canceled, keeping away from children for even a short period of time is next to impossible. So aside from taking Tylenol, what then can mothers do? Well, let me begin by asking you moms out there a simple question. How are you doing? Are you all right? Are you okay? Now, I'm not looking for the pat answer right now. I'm not looking for the, oh, I'm fine, followed by the forced smile that you're so good at giving. I mean, deep down, how are you doing? In your emotions, in your spirit, are you okay? Or maybe you feel like you're barely hanging on by a thread. And the reason I ask this is because I know that on top of all of the regular challenges that you face as a mother, 
these past 15 months of COVID and everything else that has come along with it have piled on even more challenges and anxieties than you've ever dealt with before. And so in this setting, uh, you've had to do things and learn things that you've probably never had to do or learn before. For instance, many of you have had to learn the joys of learning to homeschool your children for extended periods of time. And I say joys with all due reverence as a homeschool alumni. I know firsthand from the other side how much work and effort a mother puts into homeschooling her children. And it's not easy. But even if you're not homeschooling, you still have a lot more home time with your kids this year than usual. And of course, that extra time together comes with its own blessings, but also its own challenges, especially when it comes to maintaining your own mental, spiritual, and emotional health and well-being. And that's why today I want to talk with you about the ultimate source of help and strength that you can lean on no matter what you are currently facing. And of course, in this text and in this message, the emphasis and the focus is on mothers and on one mother in particular in our text. However, I think there's something that all of us can learn from this, whether you're a father, whether you're a child, or whatever stage of life you happen to be in. And so in our text from Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to 17, which we just read, there we read this occasion where from any angle you look at it, we find a mother who has reached the end of her strength. I said earlier, are you barely hanging on by a thread while her thread had broken? She wasn't hanging on at all. Her son had just died. And so in this setting, we read verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. Now, our hearts immediately go out to this poor woman. For instance, our church family, we, we can empathize with this situation. We collectively know, and some of us personally all too well, that there's nothing more tragic than a parent enduring the loss of a child. Quite simply, no child pardon me, no parent believes that when they, they have their child and they first bring it home from the hospital, they never believe that they would outlive that child, and yet it still happens. Now this poor woman was no doubt devastated and grief-stricken from the loss of this, her precious son. Further still, we know that the Jewish burial custom of that day was to bury the dead almost immediately upon their, upon their, their death. So within 24 hours, you had to have the dead buried, often uh, within a few hours before the sun went down. And so we know that this loss is fresh. It's only been a few hours since her son has died. It's fresh, it's raw, and it's very, very real. And so Luke also further informs us that not only was this her son, but that this was her only son, her one and only son. Now, he also adds the detail that this woman was a widow, which tells us that she had already endured the loss of her husband sometime before. And so in, in this, we see that this woman, this woman has no one left to provide for her. So unless someone took pity on her, chances were that she would end up as a beggar destitute on the streets. Because in that time, if a woman had lost her husband, she had lost her son, 
there was legally no one left to provide for her. It was only the mercy of other family members or strangers who would be able to provide for her in her situation. And so it's a very, very tragic circumstance for this mother. We're then informed by Luke that a large crowd from the village was following with her. Now this was common in that a funeral processional was something that was a a community event. And so this crowd of mourners in this funeral processional would be headed for the cemetery to bury the young man. And it was a custom in that day and time for the people of the city to follow along with the mother in front of the procession. Then those who carried the stretcher bearing the son would have been directly behind. And behind them would follow the mourners. Some of them would be deemed professional mourners because in that time you wanted to have some wailing. You wanted to have some mourning, some visceral sign that grief was happening here. And so some people that grief would be real, but for others who were sort of in the professional mourning class, they would do it uh, with the expectation that they would receive some sort of compensation in return, whether that was in the form of money or services or food. And so there would be a show of wailing happening behind the, the coffin. Following behind the mourners at the rear of the procession would have been everyone else. The people of the city following the sign of respect for the dead and also for the grief of the stricken mother. And so here we see her at the outset, tears streaming down her face, sobs racking her body, a bleak and sad picture. And so as one bleak funeral processional is headed out of the city gates, just then we see another procession of an entirely different sort heading in to the city gates. Jesus is headed into town. And it says his disciples, but also a crowd of people were following him as well. And so we see here that death is coming out of the city and Jesus is coming into the city. And the two are on a collision course. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said to her. Now, the first thing we see is that Jesus had compassion on this woman. His heart overflowed. It wasn't just a small token, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. He felt it deeply, as deeply as she herself felt it. His his heart overflowed with compassion. And here we see something interesting that this woman was not looking for Jesus. She was not expecting Jesus to be at her funeral processional for her son. But most certainly, we see that Jesus was looking for her. And he timed his arrival for the exact moment that she needed him the most. Now, she may not have even known who Jesus was. But yet, we know that Jesus already knew her. He knew her name. He knew her circumstances. He knew everything about her. And in the same way, you may not be looking for Jesus. You may not even know him yet. But rest assured that Jesus is looking for you. He knows your name. He knows your need. He knows everything about you. And his heart is overflowing with compassion towards you, just as it was for that poor mother. Next, Jesus does the strangest thing. He stops the funeral processional. He stops it. Now, think about that for a second. Stopping a funeral processional is not a normal thing to do. Even in our custom, in our time and culture, when, when the hearse leaves the, the church here and we're headed for the cemetery, for the burial, 
Out of a sign of respect, all other traffic stops, gets out of the way, lets the procession come through. You don't stop a funeral processional. Now, in our custom and culture, that would be highly unusual. In theirs, it was even more so. That would have been the most disrespectful, rude, inconsiderate thing to possibly do was to get in, way, in the way of this funeral processional. To stand aside in, in silence would have been the only respectful thing to do. So for Jesus to stop this, already people have their hackles up. This is highly disrespectful to stop a funeral processional. But then he does something even more strange. He speaks to the woman who is in her grief. She has just lost her son. And he says what I think would have appeared to be the most callous words possible. Don't cry. Don't cry. Yeah, you just lost your son, your only son, but don't cry. You know, I know sometimes people mean well when someone's lost someone, they're in grief, and they try to say words that kind of, uh, you know, provide some comfort, but sometimes they do the, just the opposite. And to tell someone who's just lost a loved one not to cry would be one of those things. It's, it's not helpful. Let them cry. It's a normal thing to do. To, to try to bottle up the grief by not crying is not helping. It's going to make things worse. So for Jesus to say that is shocking. It's surprising. And now, to those present, Jesus doing this would have been disrespectful, rude, and, and shocking for him to say such a thing. But now, we see that Jesus comes into this situation and he knows something that no one else knows. Because Jesus didn't just say the words, he went further than simply having pity on this woman, simply telling her, don't cry, and then carrying on his merry way. No, Jesus saw her need, he knew her heart, he knew her dire situation, and he was about to do something about it. Now things may seem hard in your life right now. Things may even seem devastating. You may be a mother who's feeling simply overwhelmed by life right now. Maybe you feel like your children are, are slipping beyond your ability to help them. But no matter what your circumstances or how hopeless they may feel to you right now, when Jesus arrives on the scene, he not only brings words of comfort, he brings with him the ability and the power to do something about your situation. He brings with him the power that we lack. In verses 14 we read, then Jesus walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, can you just imagine this scene? We can read those verses so quickly and easily and carry on, but what we just read is jaw-dropping. Now, imagine someone stops the hearse on the way to the cemetery and says, hold on, I'm going to come over and I'm going to open the lid of the coffin. And I want, to, I want to look at the dead. And everyone's watching this. And then he speaks to the dead. The dead sits up and begins to speak. Now this coffin wouldn't have had a lid on it. It would have been more of a stretcher. The stretcher bearers, the pallbearers would have been right next to the body. And so when Jesus walked over to it, he puts his hand out, he stops them. They're all staring at him. He's already been disrespectful. What's he going to do now? And then he speaks to the dead. And get this, 
Though the dead's ears could not hear another human voice, the dead boy's ears could hear the voice of Jesus. The dead hear the voice of Jesus. And at his voice, they must respond. At his voice, at his command, at his power, he sat up and he immediately began to speak. Now, what he said, Luke doesn't record for us. I well imagine that to him it just felt like he woke up. What am I doing here? Why am I on this stretcher? Why are all these people around here? You know, for, for him it would have been like waking up in the middle of an awkward room full of people and you don't know how you got there. And yet immediately he begins to speak and Jesus says, don't worry about any of that. Here is your mother. And we just read Luke say, he gave him back to his mother. Now can you imagine the mother? The shock? Now imagine the people watching this scene. They came to bury the dead and now the dead have come back to life and been restored to his mother. Now this is just so much to take in. None of us have seen anything like this in our lives and yet there it happened. It was reality. And this is what happens when Jesus comes on the scene. A, a day gets flipped upside down. One that began with fear, confusion, and grief ends with utter amazement and joy and awe. And this is what happens when Jesus comes on the scene. When he shows up, everything changes. Now, some people we read in this text react that they were fearful because something so awesome had happened that they didn't know how to react other than with fear. But whatever your reaction to Jesus today, when he comes, he comes and brings life-giving power. And with just one touch, with one word, he can transform a funeral processional into a victory parade. And those that traveled with Jesus from the other, coming in the other direction, they had just witnessed earlier the healing of the centurion's servant. But then, if you keep walking with Jesus, the miracles never get old. And I'm sure that they and the disciples were amazed at well, as well, because it's one thing to heal someone who is sick, but to raise someone from the dead is on an entirely different level. And what this miracle demonstrates is that nothing is impossible for God. In this widow's moment of devastation and desperation, Jesus shows up and he changes everything. And now the question, what was Jesus' motivation for raising this young man from the dead? What was his motive? Because remember, Jesus would have seen other funeral processionals. In fact, there will have been a common occurrence in his time, and we don't read of him doing this very often. In fact, as far as stopping a funeral procession goes, this is the only account given. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead shortly after she had passed. That was another time. Of course, he called Lazarus famously from the grave four days after he'd been in there. So he proved he could do it at any stage, but this is the only record of him stopping a funeral procession. So what was his motive for doing this? Well, two reasons are given. The first one is obvious, and that's the one I've been stressing. Jesus' heart was moved by compassion for the plight of this widowed mother. His heart goes out to her. He wants to meet her need, and so he does. That is the first and obvious motive. But Luke gives us another motive as well. And in verses 16 and 17, we read this. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, 
and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. So here we see that the people who were present realized that they had witnessed a great miracle. They also knew that the source of this miracle could not come from a mere man. It had to come from God. And so we read, they glorified God. And they also proclaimed that God had visited his people. And furthermore, we see that Jesus' fame continues to spread across the entire region. And so here we see that Jesus' secondary motivation was to announce who he was and to bring honor and glory and praise to his Father. And you see, the purpose of our lives is likewise to bring honor and glory and praise to our Heavenly Father. It's not to establish our own name, but to establish and glorify His name. However, too often what happens is we focus on our own problems, we focus on our own difficulties, our own sorrows, our own griefs, our own trials, our own tribulations. And when we cry out to God, we do so often in a self-centered manner. We simply want our trials ended, and we don't consider that it is precisely in our trials that God's name can be given the greatest glory. So often we say, Lord, end any trial before it begins, but God, God in his wisdom says, no, I'm going to allow you to go through this trial because it is precisely in the trial that my name will be brought glory as you trust in me. And you see, if we were to simply go through a life just on easy street and God would have us avoid every single trial and no one would ever have to see his strength at work in our lives as believers and his miracle working power, how would that bring him glory? No, if we recognize and and, and accept the fact that as God's children, our principal and chief aim in this life is to reflect glory back to our Father, one of the ways and means in which he does that is allowing us to go through times of testing and trial And yes, even losing a loved one. And so when we remember this, it changes our perspective on our trials. And we pray that in any purpose or in any situation that our Father will receive glory. Now remember what we just prayed in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. You see, it is all about the Father's glory. It is all about thine be the glory, not mine be the glory. And when we live our life that way, it changes our perspective on everything. And so, great things happened in the city of Nain that day. And when it was all over, God received the glory. And likewise, sometimes Jesus shows up in our lives and he does things that are so amazing that it is obvious where the power came from. He does things simply that no one else can do. No no man, no woman has the power to do these things. And the fact that he cares and has compassion on us in the process makes it all the sweeter. Now there may be some of you listening today who are hurting, who are grieving, struggling even as we speak. Some of you here today are mothers or fathers who are deeply concerned about the situation of your children. Some of you may be worried about the kind of world that your children are growing up in. And as you look around at what's happening in our world even right now today, your concern only grows deeper. If this is what our world looks like right now, what is it going to look like five years from now, ten years from now? And these worries and fears can begin to, to weigh upon us. Some of you 
may have older children who are struggling in some way. Perhaps some are struggling with addiction. Perhaps some of you who are dealing with those who are struggling with depression or anxiety. Some of you may have children who are dealing with their own marital issues. Some of you may have children who are dealing with health issues. Some of you may have grown children who have rejected the faith. They have walked away from the Lord and are living rebellious lives. And on and on it goes in many more situations that I could yet describe. And being a loving parent, you are concerned for your children. And many of you are carrying some sort of burden for your children even today. And the fact is, you just don't know what to do to help them. And so, of course, like that mother who's lost her son, you feel utterly helpless. And in that way, you may be uh, in the same situation. Where you are at a place where the only answer is for Jesus to come on the scene and to speak a word to bring power that you lack to bring about a miracle, a change, transformation. And so remember first that Jesus sees your sorrows. He understands your worries and your fears. He knows your needs. And he has compassion for you. And then when the time is right, he won't pass you by. He won't leave you in your need. He will arrive on the scene and bring his power to bear on your situation, whatever it is. Now remember, it may not be exactly when you think it should be or how you think it should go, but believe. Have faith. Pray and trust that he will do what is right at the right time. For there is nothing that you're facing today or anything that you will yet face tomorrow that Jesus does not have the ability and the power to handle on your behalf. For remember, a young man was dead, dead. Not swooning, not sleeping, dead and gone. It doesn't get any worse than that. But Jesus still had the power over death itself. And so if he has the power over death, then what are you currently facing today that he doesn't have the power over? If he, if he has power over the grave, then what remains that is beyond his ability? Nothing. He has the power over everything. There is no circumstance, no situation that is too much for him. And so trust him. Trust him. Place your children, place their futures into the hands of Jesus today. And trust them fully to him and pray that God will be glorified in their lives through whatever circumstances they might face today or in the future because remember that the trials that appear to us only as worry, sorrow, and heartache can be used by God for their good and for God's eternal glory. Along these lines, Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, the, the famous evangelist, who faced many challenges of her own, and, and one of the greatest challenges was having to raise their many children with her husband often on the road leading evangelism meetings and revivals. And so, with this in mind, she wrote the following poem. She wrote, Had I been Joseph's mother, I'd have prayed protection from his brothers. God, keep him safe, he is so young, so different from the others. Mercifully, she never knew there would be slavery and prison too. Had I been Moses' mother, I'd have wept to keep my little son praying she might forget the babe drawn from the water of the Nile 
Had I not kept him for her, nursing him all the while? Was he not mine, and she but Pharaoh's daughter? Had I been Daniel's mother, I should have pled, Give victory, this Babylon horde, godless and cruel. Don't let him be a captive, better dead, almighty Lord. Had I been Mary, oh, had I been she, I would have cried, as never a mother cried, anything, O God, anything but crucified. With such prayers importunate, my finite wisdom would assail. Infinite wisdom, God, how fortunate, infinite wisdom should prevail. And so it is, infinite wisdom of God. We, in all of these circumstances, would imagine a better path, one that didn't involve being thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, one that wouldn't have involved being put in a basket and floated on the Nile to try to save his life, having to give him up to the Pharaoh's daughter rather than having her own son, one where Babylon wouldn't have overthrown Jerusalem and Daniel taken as a teenager into captivity and eventually uh, tested by being thrown into a lion's den, and most certainly one where, where her precious son, would not have been crucified to a cruel cross and died the death of the worst criminals. A mother being told that those things would have happened while she held her, her little baby, it would be too much to bear the thought. And yet God in infinite wisdom prevailed in each one of those circumstances and many more that through each of those trials his purposes moved forward, the lives were used mightily for God and for his glory. And so we have to trust that God has the same good plans for our children and for their futures. That he will use them. He will be with them. He will strengthen them for, his good, for their good and for his glory. And so now, up until now, I've been speaking to parents principally, but I want to take a moment to speak directly to the kids. If you're young, I love seeing you guys run around. And maybe some of you are just big kids. And you're here listening today, and in your heart, you know that you're not with the Lord. You're not walking with Him. And you know that your parents are deeply concerned. Maybe you're here today in body, but spiritually, you're like that young man on the coffin. You're still apart from the Lord. He wants to bring you from death to life. And so, if you know that this is you, you haven't yet given your life to Jesus... Or maybe at some point you did in the past, but you've wandered far away and you wonder if it's even true. Today you can change that. Because Jesus can raise your spirit, your heart, and your soul from death to life this very moment. And you can be born again and enter into a brand new life with Jesus. You might not be looking for Jesus, but Jesus is looking for you. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you more than you deserve or will ever know, but it's true. He loves you. Whatever you've done, whatever you think may have disqualified you from his love, it's not true. His grace is greater than your greatest sin. His love is deeper. And so right now, today, you can respond to his invitation, his touch, his voice, and you can receive grace and salvation. Because when he arrives, he brings his power to change your life forever. Because what Jesus did that day for the mother and son of Nain, he can do for you right here, right now as well. So whatever your circumstances, whether parent or child, near to God or afar, afar off, 
Give your burdens to Jesus. Entrust your children to him. And pray that whether in blessing or in pain, life or in death, that God would be glorified. Amen. Lord Jesus, we are humbled and awed at you, at what you are able to do. Lord, to come to a funeral processional, a place of grief, a place of of death, a place of mourning, and to come and to simply speak the words to the dead, get up. And the dead get up and they rise and they speak and they live once more. Lord, we are in awe at you. And so we thank you that this same power that you brought to bear on that poor woman's life all those years ago is the same power that you bring to bear for each one of us by faith right now today. You are not a long way off from us. You are near. And you are as near, Lord, as the heartfelt prayer of a sinner's repentant heart to say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. You hear that prayer, Lord. And you are ready to bring your power. You are ready to bring your help. And you are ready to bring transformation. And so, Father, I pray for everyone here today in need of that touch, in need of that transformation, that they would come to you in hearts of faith. And that they would know that you have responded to them. And so, Father, I pray as well for the mothers today. I pray that whatever their worries, their anxious thoughts for their children for the future, Lord, may they bring them to you. May they entrust their children to you and know that they are in good hands. And that, Lord, we don't pray for just safety for our children's future, but we pray, Lord, for purpose. We pray for power. We pray for faith. And we pray, Lord, that you would use their lives in a mighty way for your glory as we pray it for each one of ourselves. Bless each mother today with a special day. May they know that that they are deeply loved by you and that whatever their circumstances, your heart is with them and for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.